Well, this morning we're going to continue in the Olivet Discourse and taking a little bit of uh, excursus that I started last week in order to understand the context of what Jesus is dealing with in Matthew chapter 25. So we've looked at the setting, spent a lot of time in that, and I've shown lots of photographs of where the disciples were when Jesus was speaking to them, the Olivet Discourse, something of what they would have seen 2,000 years ago. Obviously, this is a modern-day photograph, so it's not exactly the same, but it is the exact same location that they would have been viewing, Temple Mount, and on Temple Mount, there were the buildings that we've talked about and I've mentioned that were destroyed in 70 AD, but were present while Christ was presenting the Olivet Discourse. And they were on the Mount of Olives in the background there. We spent a lot of time, this is your, your simple outline of the Olivet Discourse. The bulk of it deals with this period called Tribulation. Verses 4 through 28, it's a very particular, very special time that is primarily referred to in the Old Testament. Jesus gives a little summary of a lot of Old Testament passages. We looked at many of them. And it's somewhat of a brief survey of much of the book of Revelation as well. And obviously we dealt with it. Short verses on the second coming that will end this period of time. And it will not only end the tribulation, but it will begin, and I've given you all the reasons for the sequence. This is the Jewish eschatology. All eschatology is Jewish. Remember, I've mentioned that over and over. Second coming, now from a Jewish perspective, the coming of Messiah. We know from the New Testament that it comes in two phases. Second coming, 29 through 31 in Matthew 24. And then the bulk of the Olivet Discourse is Jesus desiring us to apply what he has taught us somewhat doctrinally concerning eschatology. So beginning in verse 32, we have applications for the Olivet Discourse. And this runs through the end, all the way through the end of chapter 25. So the Olivet Discourse 24 and 25. We looked at the end of 24. And in that, we have applications that are related primarily to the second coming. And there are several in there that we developed as we were looking at the text. And last week, I gave you a brief introduction to the kingdom. And I see all of chapter 25 relating to the millennial kingdom. And if you remember last time, beginning in verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven. Now, we have a chapter break, but in reality, it just continues from what Jesus was speaking of in chapter 24. And as you know, the chapter breaks are not inspired, but they're there for us in terms of convenience to be able to find things. But in reality, this just continues what Jesus was talking about at the end of chapter 24. So he's continuing his applicational portion, but now he shifts somewhat, and the applications are going to be related to the kingdom of heaven. And last time I told you we're not going to look much at that. In fact, next week we'll focus on this first application or this first parable, the parable of the ten virgins. And I also told you that you need to kind of wipe your hard disks clean or your memories of all that you've heard. Because there's so much mis, 
interpretation of Matthew chapter 25. All three of the parables are often very much misinterpreted, so next week we'll try to renew your thinking and replenish the uh, reformatting of your hard disk there. Yeah. yeah, and if you need help, mention in the email, there's people that can help you uh, erase hard disks. Um, now, you said kingdom of heaven Yep. Uh, was specifically the millennial kingdom, not heaven itself. Yes. In this context. Yes, yes. Now, well, notice it's eschatology, Jewish eschatology. But what about Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount? What about the kingdom of heaven and all those that you like? Right. And the Sermon on the Mount, is that also referencing specifically the millennial, or is it you have to look at each context in particular, but in general, when Jesus came, in fact, in Jewish eschatology, when Messiah arrives, he will establish the kingdom. And one of the main themes of the good book of the whole book of Matthew is it explains, well, Messiah came, what happened to the kingdom? All right? Now, after a thousand years, the church thought, well, what happened to the kingdom? Maybe we misinterpreted what... The kingdom is all about. That's where amillennialism came. That's where all these other isms came. And a lot of confusion concerning the millennial kingdom. What Matthew is explaining, and particularly the Olivet Discourse and other passages that we looked at in our introduction, the kingdom is postponed because the Messiah was rejected by the nation of Israel. Jim. Uh, this came up from one of Classes of kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, right? And the way he defined that, general, is that kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, is a system of authority with God. And I think that's a pretty broad description that covers all this. Right. Think of that. Then. Yeah, you got to look at the con- each context of each passage, and when it speaks of the kingdom, sometimes it does speak, speak in general, in, ter- in terms of God's rule. And that kingdom never ends, never has a beginning, because God has always ruled and God has always been sovereign over all things. But in different phases of God working on earth, for example, there was the kingdom of Solomon, the kingdom of David and Solomon, even beginning with Saul. And there is a sense in which Christ rules today from the right hand of the Father. All of those are not necessarily related directly to the millennial kingdom. That's what Jesus offered. And when Jesus is speaking to disciples, and he has already said the kingdom of heaven is near, he is referring to the millennial kingdom because Messiah is here. And in Jewish eschatology, when a Messiah arrives, that kingdom will be established. In fact, if you jump ahead chronologically in the book of Acts, what are the disciples still looking for in Acts 1-6? What's the question they asked Jesus? Are you going to establish the kingdom now? In other words, all these things have taken place. You've died. You've rose from the dead. All these events. The next thing is the kingdom of, of heaven or the kingdom of God. And I see those as somewhat synonymous. I tried to explain a little of the reason he uses heaven last time. So remind yourself. Now, I'm not going to get into the text as much, but what I want you to do, because there's so much confusion and misunderstanding, I'm giving you a picture of what the disciples 
thought of when Jesus is talking about then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins. What flooded their thinking and their mind? And it was definitely not amillennialism. All right? Last time I gave you John's interpretation or exposition of much of the Old Testament concerning events related to the millennial kingdom. We looked at them. Now there's another verse in verse 30, uh, 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's just described that, chapter 24, and all the angels with him, that's verse 31, 24, 31, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That glorious throne is the millennial kingdom. Now the Old Testament doesn't tell us it's millennial. We get that from the book of Revelation. But that millennial kingdom is very clearly defined and specified in literally hundreds of passages. I'm going to give you a smattering of them this morning in the time that we have remaining. So we're going to look at that. And I gave you kind of a, an outline of the major events, and I mentioned that the major events are at the beginning that are mentioned, both Old Testament and what uh, John summarizes in the book of Revelation, particularly 19 and 20. And at the end, there are very, in fact, there are no events specific to the millennial kingdom within the thousand years, just the beginning and the end. But that period of time is very clearly defined in terms of conditions, and that's what I want to focus in on today. So just a summary of the major events. Satan is bound at the beginning. We have resurrections at the beginning. We have the judgment of Israel at the beginning. This is Matthew chapter 25. This is the ten virgins. This is the parable of the talents. We'll get into that, and I'll explain how it's related to Israel. And much of the interpretation you've heard leaves Israel out, and I think that's a huge mistake, particularly in the context that we have. The last illustration, or if you want to call it a parable, in Matthew chapter 25 deals with the nations, and is primarily judgment. They will be judged before the millennial kingdom to determine who enters. So, to determine who enters amongst living Israelites that survive that seven-year tribulation, there's that judgment. It is portrayed to us, portrayed to us by Jesus in the parable of the ten virgins. And there's Old Testament corresponding passages as well, similar to the nations, and that's that last illustration beginning in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 25. Jim? Towards the end of the tribulation, verse 22 to 24, where it talks about the elect. Yes. Those are the three who enter the kingdom. Yes, those that survive, as I said last time, will enter the kingdom in mortal bodies. Those are the tribulation. Yes. Yeah, in that context, the elect there have nothing to do with the church. In fact, I don't see any relationship to the church on earth in that seven-year period of time. It's Jewish. I give you all the Old Testament passages. So we have these cluster of events at the very beginning, and then we have a reign, if you want to call that an event or a series of events. That's all that's basically described in terms of events. And then we have the events at the end. We have a revolt, and I tried to explain a little bit of how that comes about last time. And the last event of the Great Tribulation is the Great White Throne Judgment. In fact, that's the last event of world history. 
That's the end of world history. The millennial kingdom is part of world history. It is not the church. That's a misunderstanding, and that's the most common misunderstanding of the millennial kingdom. It is the kingdom is the church. It's not the case. The kingdom is separate. It's not heaven. That's another misunderstanding of a lot of church people and even people here at Grace. It is not heaven. It's distinct and separate and different. It's part of world history. It's part of the chronology. I think time ends with the great white throne, and then we go into the eternal state. Does that make sense? Heaven is after the millennial kingdom. Got that? Okay. So that's the end of world history. Those are the major events. Cluster at the beginning, and a couple that are mentioned with the revelation at the end. And by the way, there's corresponding Old Testament passages that illustrate all of these as well. I didn't give you those, but we're just giving you a survey here. So let's spend our time looking at these conditions, and let's do some reading, and let's read them quickly. But what I want you to see is what the disciples thought of when they were thinking about the kingdom. In fact, in the Olivet Discourse, they had, they didn't have a clue what the church was all about. In fact, there's evidence from the book of Acts that it wasn't until probably several years into the book of Acts that the disciples began to put together that there's going to be this age or this period of time that is distinct from Israel, that is different from the Old Testament saints, that has some characteristics that are unique, that make up what the Bible describes as the ecclesia, or the church. And I don't think they clearly understood. Uh, in fact, it's probably not until Paul, in the book of Ephesians, explains explicitly the specific elements that make up this ecclesia or this church. So they're not thinking of the church. They're not thinking of heaven. They're thinking of the Old Testament. And this is what I'm going to give you here. The first condition, yes, it is spiritual. The amillennialist will camp on the spiritual passages, even in the Old Testament, and the passages in the New Testament that give us the indication that the millennial kingdom will be spiritual. Yes! And there are several elements that make it spiritual. In fact, somebody look up Ezekiel 37. Some of the spiritual elements, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, okay, Connie. Presence, the immediate physical presence of Christ in resurrected body. Isaiah 45, Dave, Jenny gets, Isaiah 2, 3, the word of God is going to be preached. And by the way, there are several Old Testament passages on all of these. I'm just giving you a smattering of them. And there's other spiritual elements. I'm just bringing it out to you. Who's got Isaiah 66, 23? Okay, Jim. And one more. There's temple observance. There's going to be a millennial temple. There's going to be a tribulation temple, but there's also going to be a millennial temple. And that even that millennial temple is physical, it's material, it's on earth, it's in Jerusalem, it'll be on Temple Mount. That's what the disciples are thinking about. So how can this temple be destroyed? There's got to be a temple in the millennium. Well, if it's going to be destroyed, then obviously it has to be rebuilt. Make sense? We won't look that one up. That's, yeah, Ezekiel 40. Uh, get uh, Connie, Ezekiel 37, 14, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you can add Joel 2. You can add 
Ezekiel 36. There's several passages concerning this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Connie, go ahead. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I am your own land. Okay, in the land. It's historical, part of what happens on earth. That's a millennial passage, Ezekiel 37. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes Joel that speaks of the same thing. This is during the millennial kingdom. And it's different from any outpouring of the Holy Spirit at any time in history. Now, we have a sample of it on the day of Pentecost, and we experience a sample of it, but this outpouring is amongst the nation of Israel in the future. And those that are saved as a result of the ministry of the nation of Israel. The immediate presence of Christ, Isaiah 45. You get that one, David? The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and flesh shall see it together. Okay, the glory of the Lord. In other words, his glory is going to be displayed. There's other passages. It's going to be a glorious visual experience that people will see. He's going to reign on David's throne on earth. Okay? The word of God is going to be preached. I hope I have my opportunity. Isaiah 2 3. Someone read that one. Many people would say, How much the house of God? Okay, the word is going to be spread from Jerusalem, from Zion. And it's going to go out throughout the world. That's a millennial passage. Isaiah 66, 23, broad worship. People are going to come from all over the world to visit Israel and worship in Israel. Who's got that one? And it shall be from Okay, Isaiah 65, 66, those are millennial passages. Worship, those are the spiritual aspects. Like I said, there's lots of other passages as well. We won't read, but if you want to read Ezekiel 40, 46, lots of passages. There's seven chapters there that describe that millennial temple. Actual dimensions that will be built probably the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And there's going to be worship in the temple. In fact, there's going to be sacrifices. Now, the nature of those, we, you know, there's some discussion concerning that since Christ basically finished the redemptive sacrifices when he died on the cross. They may be memorial sacrifices. They may take another form. But they are described in Ezekiel 40 through 46. Very detailed giving a lot of detail there. So there's going to be a temple, all these spiritual aspects, and all of the associated worship with the millennial temple. So yes, it is spiritual. And that's where the amillennialist stops. He says it is only spiritual, and basically we're experiencing it here and now as the body of Christ. Big mistake. And certainly the disciples have no concept of that. No concept of amillennialism. Now, yes, all of these are millennial kingdom conditions. First major category, spiritual. Second major category, political. This is what many of the people, many of the Jewish people in the first century expected. What did they expect Messiah to do when he came? 
Well, set up the kingdom, but deliver them from Rome, particularly in the first century, or deliver them from uh, their oppressors, whatever age that they expected Messiah. There are political aspects. Israel is a nation. The church is not a nation. So there are political aspects. There's going to be an administration. There's going to be a king that is seated on David's throne. There's passages that give us the indication that David himself will rule. Somebody look up uh, Matthew, what is it? 1828, I believe it is. I'm going off the top of my head here. Might be 19. There's several passages. I uh, didn't put them on the screen there, but let me mention a few things here. 1928. Regeneration? What is that? In other words, in the disciples' mind, the earth is going to be regenerated. Physical aspects of the kingdom in the regeneration. Keeps reading. When the soft man sits on his glory, you who follow me will also sit on twelve and is judging the twelve. The disciples are going to sit on twelve thrones. That's the cabinet, and they're going to do what? Judge. Who are they going to judge? Twelve tribes of Israel. Now they're going to be there in resurrection bodies, but they will reign. And they're going to have a part in the administration, a political administration. Christ is going to be the one that seats on his throne, as in that passage as well. So in the political aspects, there's going to be a government, there's going to be a nation that's going to be prominent, there's going to be an administration, and there's going to be activity relating to political issues. There's going to be righteousness and justice, Psalm 2, Isaiah 42.1. There's going to be the end of lawlessness, Isaiah 29, verses 20 through 21. There's going to be universal peace. In other words, if you want no war, you got to wait till the millennial kingdom. There's going to be universal peace, Psalm 72.3, verse 7, Isaiah 32.17, and many other political issues relating to that period of time. So there's political aspects. There's social aspects. And a few verses, where are we on time? Good. There's going to be a lot of personal changes and effects that are going to affect us individually. And some of these are emphasized. For example, Isaiah 14. Somebody want to get that one? There's going to be economic differences than now. There's not going to be any deficits run. No unemployment. Isaiah 4, 1. You got that one? Who's got the... Why don't you get 14, 7, and 8? Jenny, get 4, 1. Some of you that haven't read, anyone want to jump in there? Oh, the next one. Uh, who's got 4, uh, Jenny, got 4, 1. Isaiah 26, 1. Trevor, jump in there. Here's an interesting one. I'll save this one for the physical aspects, but somebody get it, and I'll have you read it later. Okay, Connie's got it. Isaiah 14, 7 and 8. Dave? The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. Whole earth! This is universal. They break forth into singing. Yea, the firs the trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no, no color has come against us. Okay, now that pictures for us, and if you read the whole context, in the millennial context, not only is it universal worldwide, 
But there is this joy, this, this satisfaction that's personal. Other passages emphasize the joy aspect. Others emphasize this sense of peace, this sense of well-being, shalom, during the millennial kingdom. 4-1, who's got that one? Jenny? And if you read the rest of the context, economic issues, greater rainfall as a result of greater productivity as a result of greater economic situations. It's probably not the best verse. I should have selected another one. But that one is in the economic. There's other passages that give us that. Cultural, 26.1, these are all social effects. And I could add other things to the list there. Is this one? You got it? I got you. Yep. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwark. And if you read on and on, it keeps describing more cultural effects. Cities that are not only productive, but enjoyable, peaceful, all of those aspects, cultural aspects. Now, I'm going to skip this one, sin and death. I've got it on the other one as well. But there's going to be a physical transformation where the earth is going to be refreshed. We read that passage. There's going to be a renewal. It's going to have physical effects. In fact, let me skip to that real quick here. But that's an important passage. Isaiah 65.20 tells us about sin, or at least alludes to it, but it also talks about death. We'll come back to that one. So there's spiritual conditions, there's political conditions, and by the way, the nation of Israel, one of the reasons the Jewish people in the first century rejected him, rejected Messiah, Israel rejected their Messiah, is because he did not implement the political aspects that they expected. They expected deliverance from Rome. If you can't do that, then you're not Messiah. And what they didn't realize is that that's going to come in the future. So there's political, there's social, and there's some physical aspects. The amillennialist and other viewpoints have to spiritualize a lot of these passages, but they're in millennial context. And let's go over them real quickly. Let's skip Second Peter 3, 3-13. Through but one of Peter's arguments there concerning the second coming is this idea of uniformitarianism. The skeptic, or the scoffer, says everything has always been the same. Peter gives examples of how everything has not always been the same. He uses example from creation. He uses example from the Genesis flood. These are radical effects that had effects of long-range implications and issues relating to all of creation. And you've seen this chart before where the fall brought in radical effects. I've used Second Peter 3 as an example where from here on out we have a curse. The flood brought in some radical changes to planet Earth, wiped out all of humanity and all of the animal kingdom except that that was on the flood. We're living under the Noahic Covenant, so we have a stable environment. But there's going to be radical changes at the second coming. Christ is the first fruits of a resurrected group. And at the second coming, not only will he come, but he will affect these radical physical changes. And it'll affect all of nature. Refreshing is one of the words that the New Testament uses. Miracles are just examples of radical interventions of Christ. 
and we could go on. I'm going to skip over these, but we can talk about resurrection and the doctrine of resurrection. We don't have time to do that. And I've got some things on science that will be radically changed. Second law of thermodynamics is going to be tweaked during the millennial kingdom. I can give you verses on that one. Newton's laws of motion don't have effect on resurrection bodies. I can show you that. Laws of gravitation also. Christ ascends. You'll be able to fool around with that as well in your resurrection body. What are the molecular properties of Christ's resurrection body? These are just scientific things that are be changed radically during the millennial kingdom. What's the chemical composition of a resurrection body? Uh, optic properties will also be, I can give you examples of those, biological cell properties, etc. Nature of immortality. These are just examples. All right? So there's physical, radical, physical changes, the earth and the universe. Somebody look up Isaiah 14.10. Topographical changes. Hmm? What did I say? Isaiah? Zechariah. Sorry about that. That's what I have you for to keep me online here. Here's Isaiah 65.25. And these are just samplings. There's a bunch of them. In fact, read these whole chapters. Like the whole chapter of Zechariah 14, the whole chapter of Isaiah 65. You can include Isaiah 11 that I referred to last time. Uh, who's got it? Okay. Who got Zechariah 10? Somebody get it? <laughs> Jacob, but Jacob, you haven't read yet. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. Who's got Jeremy? Did you, were you going to do one? That one? Uh, Isaiah 35. And then here's that Isaiah. Who got the, uh, okay, you had it before. Or no, Connie didn't? Yeah, Connie had it. <laughs> punch him, punch him out. Fight him, Morton. Right. Zechariah 14.10. Yeah, the millennium's not here yet, so strife and anger and struggle. Zechariah 14.10. All the land shall be turned All the land. Now, it's talking about the land of Israel in that context. So it's going to be different than what we observe when we go on our trip to Israel. All its topography is going to be changed. Keep reading. Jerusalem shall be raised up. It's happened this escape to the place of the escape and the morning to the Okay, those are physical changes as a result of the kingdom. 65-25. David? The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullet. Shall be the okay, so biologically, animals are going to be different. Their diets are going to be different. They're, they're going to be, they're not going to be carnivorous. They're not going to prey on one another. Go ahead, read, keep reading. They shall not hurt or destroy. Okay, this is millennial. So animals are different. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2, all of nature is different. The wilderness of the dead will be glad. The arrival will rejoice. Okay, so there's going to be, the Arabah is a desert, and it's going to blossom. In other words, there's going to be abundant rainfall and great productivity, in fact. Did you finish? No, it will blossom profusely and rejoice, and shout of joy. But on will be given to the majesty of our the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Okay, in a millennial context, physical, material changes during the millennial kingdom. Those have never existed since the Garden of Eden. Alright? The kingdom has not been established. The kingdom is not now. You have to spiritualize all of these passages that we're looking at. 
Isaiah 65.20, Connie, we'll close with that one. Okay, notice in that context, longevity of life. A child dying at 100, that's a tragedy because he should live five, six, seven, nine hundred years. But there's death. That's in a millennial context, 65. Read the whole chapter. Longevity of life. So anthropologically or biologically, our bodies are going to be different. Like before the flood. Long age, but there's death because there's still sin. Remember what I told you last time. Still the sin nature. And you can read on and it talks about more there. So people are going to be transformed differently. Now we're talking about mortal people. You and I will be in the millennial kingdom in resurrection bodies. And what uh, Matthew chapter 25 is going to tell us is there's going to be a group of people amongst Israelites and there's going to be another group of people amongst non-Israelites or Gentiles, the nations, that will enter the kingdom in mortal bodies. Some of them will die. Some of them will have children. In fact, that passage indicates that there will be children born during the Millennial Kingdom, or at least hints at that. Does that make sense? This is the kingdom that was in the minds of the disciples. This is what they would have thought of when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is comparable to ten virgins. Now what he's going to do is say, this is what's going to happen at the very beginning of the kingdom, and where people are going to come from that are going to populate that kingdom, that material, physical aspect of the kingdom. Does that make sense? We'll stop here, and next week I'll get through, hopefully, the parable of the ten virgins and try to show you that uh, what is in view here, it's a judgment. There's going to be a separation. There's going to be some Jewish people that are unprepared for the millennial kingdom. They're going to be excluded. That's why Jesus wants them to apply that. In other words, make sure that you know the Messiah because there's a possibility of being excluded in those last days. Some will enter. Some are prepared. Some have the lamp or the light. They have the oil. And we'll talk about the symbolism that's involved there. And we'll begin that next week. Okay, do you have your minds renewed now? Who wants to close for us this morning? Go ahead. And by the way, that was a nice little article in the announcement there. Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much for teaching. We just ask you to help us to just grasp what we're here. Just apply it to Amen.